0: Okay. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, Roger, thanks for g- helping me get set up. And Steve, thanks for the, the, the camera help. Uh, I think Steve is going to have a hard time today because I'm really, really pumped for the party that's happening in just a few hours. So I'm going to be moving around a lot. Um, some of you who came in earlier have seen me transform from my enterprise marketing blazer into my developer hoodie. Uh, I feel much more comfortable in this. When I wear the hoodie, I feel like I'm more of a jerk um, or salesy. So... Today we're going to talk about building an uh, automated control plane for uh, your infrastructure uh, using AWS Lambda config rules and various other components. And I'm really, really excited about this, mainly because of some of the new announcements and some of the new clou- uh, formation and CloudWatch and uh, other cloud service name um, services that have happened that allow us to tie in triggers to Lambda. Uh, but before we even get started, could everybody, you know, how has reInvent been so far? If you could just let out a cheer so that the audience online can hear this later. Just, like, how great has it been? Great? Fantastic. Thank you. So it's been great for me. I've met a ton of really amazing customers. I've seen some truly, truly amazing stuff that all of you have built, and I'm really impressed. Like, uh, I, I've been at AWS twice now. I've, I've quit and come back twice. So... Um, uh, it's really cool to, to, to be here and, and be an employee again instead of a customer because it's always really impressive to see what you guys build. So, my name is Randall Hunt, and if you follow me on Twitter, you're going to see an example of automated control plane. Um, uh, I previously worked at NASA, and before that, or before I worked at Amazon again, I worked at SpaceX, um, and I did a startup in between where I lost a lot of money. Um, and I would strongly encourage you guys to email me. So my email is public, it's everywhere, you can reach out to me anytime. I have kind of a direct line to all the product managers on all the various teams, uh, and I, I promise you every piece of feedback that I get, even if I don't respond because I get something like 300 emails a day, uh, I will take that piece of email that you send me with, with some and turn it and discern it into some sort of piece of actionable feedback, and I will get that to you. That was a lot of words that kind of just came flying out. I will get that back to those service teams, and I will make sure that they can take an action on it. So I strongly encourage me, whatever I strongly encourage you, whatever problem or request you have to reach out to me. Uh, and Twitter is a great way to get in touch with me as well. Um, I really like this Cloud Ninja thing. Um, this is uh a picture of my badge photo. The the reason that it looks like I am insane uh is because they told me what my username was going to be right before they took the photo. And my username was going to be Junior Hunt Junior. Uh, And I just burst into laughter, and then I decided, I'll keep this photo. For those of you who have never seen Andrew Jassy's photo uh, on his badge, it is equally absurd. So what are we going to talk about today? There's one item on this agenda that we are going to talk about that is not, um, are these the updated slides that we're running? Okay. Well, there's one thing on the agenda uh, that we'll talk about, which is, CloudFormation uh, and using Lambda functions as sort of an await notify handle for um, that uh, that portion of CloudFormation, because I think it's really great as a bootstrapping action. But otherwise, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give a very brief overview of Lambda. I'm going to talk about why automate. Um, I don't really think why automate has a very long answer. I think it's pretty short. The answer is yes. It's not, you know, should you automate, yes, why, yes. Uh, Why Lambda for automation? Um, That has a much longer answer. Um, I know everybody is is, uh, experimenting with a lot of different clouds, a lot of different providers, a lot of different stuff. Um, And I think that there is a huge opportunity to leverage Lambda where your ops team doesn't fall short, but where your ops team is just tired and lonely and they don't want to be sitting in the network operations control center anymore and they just want to be like at home relaxing. That's where I think Lambda can come in and kind of relieve some of that stress. So. Event-driven policy enforcement is something that uh I don't care about. Um and the reason that I don't care about it is that I don't work in an ITAR company anymore. Previously I worked at this company called SpaceX, which had to deal with this thing called ITAR, which means we we had to make sure that every instance we spun up, every everything that we did within AWS had to have you know specific control paradigms and um specific policy enforcement. Uh and there, there are other words that I'm supposed to use there, but my vocabulary is lacking today. So uh, using Lambda as an infrastructure control plane is a very powerful uh, way of accomplishing those compliance goals. So if you need to maintain FedRAMP or uh, PCI or HIPAA or myriad, whatever certifications you need to operate your business, whether you're a startup or an enterprise, Lambda is one of the easiest ways to get that done. And I strongly encourage you to pursue this after my presentation is done. Um, and then we'll go over some best practices. The best practices are basically like log everything. I mean, that's obvious. So OK, uh, owning servers. We all know that owning servers sucks. Um, I have been on call. I've been on stage before, and I have gotten paged, and I have had to quit uh, my job. No, I've had to quit um, my presentation and go and deal with a production service outage, and then come back and finish my presentation. Being on call and owning your own servers and dealing with all of this infrastructure is a huge pain and I'm really, really tired of it, which is why I'm a huge fan of serverless. So what serverless allows you to do is it allows you to get paged for different reasons. Um, <laughs> I'm glad you guys like the deadpan. So uh, what serverless allows you to do is it removes a lot of the common issues that go wrong with servers, uh, and it puts that undifferentiated heavy lifting on us, on Amazon. It makes it our fault, um, which is a great problem uh, for, for not me. Um, and and I think that's very powerful. And one of the things that really compels me uh, a- along this serverless paradigm is Lambda in particular. And I'll talk more about that later, because otherwise the presentation will be too short, and I'll just speak extemporaneously, and you guys will get really bored. Um, but one of the, my favorite things about Lambda is the fact that code is really all you need. Has has anybody tried to build a pa- Python package and ship it up to Lambda, like an update? Anybody use Python on Lambda? OK, so I have this Twitter bot. Um, if you follow me on Twitter that responds um, and one of the like major pain points is I actually have to you know add in the Twitter library and zip it up and it, you know I have a little shell script to do all that uh, but that 's a huge pain so something that was released today was called code build there 's a whole suite of code star services that we have and I think it 's really really cool with code build now if I want to build a package if I want to build a lambda package, everything that I need to do can happen within code commit code pipelines and code build. Um, so, I have my, my code in code commit, and I modify it, and I add a new library in the requirements.txt, for instance. So, then code build goes and builds that artifact that I want to upload into Lambda, and then it actually uploads it into Lambda. And then I can maintain various versions of my Lambda functions, I can roll back if I need to. It's a really powerful paradigm, and I think it's really great. Uh, but if you don't need any libraries, um, you can get a lot done pretty darn easily. Uh, and, it's it's so um, inspiring. Is too nerdy, but um, it, it's really really awesome to to be able. That's still nerdy, but it's really really awesome to be able to open up the Lambda console and type in import Bodo and start doing things within my infrastructure, or uh, having an API gateway and having Lambda functions respond to the the calls out to those functions, and uh, being able to inherit IAM roles. I'll talk all about that later. All of, all of these different things uh, are enabling, in my opinion, a paradigm shift in computing. And I'm young, so I've only been around for for one paradigm shift in computing called NoSQL. And, of course, we all know how that works out. Um, so uh, you lose all your money. Uh, and one of the things uh, that Lambda does very well is event-driven scaling. And event-driven scaling is uh, something that requires, like, a, a a great PR messaging. What it means is you can... So FINRA. Has anybody heard of FINRA? I think Werner mentioned it in the keynote today. So FINRA does, you know, in-billion requests per day. I don't know the actual number. I should. Um, again, PR. They're not fans when I get up here. Uh, but they allow you to to run in number of lambda containers in number of functions within some limitation you have to open a support request if you want to do more than twenty five concurrently or something like that. but you get the gist you can run as many of these as you need to, and that parallelism like there are times where i 've seen people get twenty five terabits uh, to and from s three just using lambda like that that 's bandwidth that is easily achievable like th- this is real scale that people are running with it, it, so have you, has anybody seen the pyrin article that was published? Um, if not, I strongly check, recommend you check it out. You just search for PyRin. You can see what the, the total bandwidth to and from, um, S3 was, and it was, it blew my mind. Um, and then you don't have to pay for idle servers. I don't pay for anything because Amazon comps my AWS account, so I don't really care about that. Um, availability and fault tolerance built in. That's also great. Uh, the way that Lambda works is it's built in gigabyte seconds. Uh, and a gigabyte second works where, the number of gigabytes of RAM that you consume is the numerator. The number of seconds your section, or your, your your function runs, is the denominator. And what you do is you say, okay, I'm running 128 megabytes for 10 seconds. That is one gigabyte second. It's very similar to a kilowatt hour for those of us who pay electricity bills. Um, and one of the really compelling components of that is that when you uh, w- when you get down to it. Gigabyte seconds are about as close to paying for a kilowatt hour as you can get. And the more memory that you provision, the more additional other resources that you're going to get. So if you need higher network throughput or if you need more CPU, you can get that by also provisioning more memory. Uh, one thing to keep in mind, the functions have no notion of state. So that's a lie. They do. Um, and I'll explain a little bit about that in a second. Uh, has anybody seen the new environment variables features? Yeah. Um, I'm curious I'm not going to talk about that because I don't know if it's released yet. But I'll, I'll check in the console in just a second. Um, anyway, uh, the environment variables feature is really great. We we have a ton of ability to to pass state in just in time to that function, um, and we have something called container reuse within Lambda. And what it does is it says uh, all this preamble, all of this initialization that is happening every time I want to run something. I don't care about that. I don't I don't need to execute that every time. What I'm what I'm interested in executing. Is the the lambda handler function the in, in Python it's you know whatever you call it whatever the invocation is and you get something you get passed in the event and you get passed in the context and you can perform operations on those same in JavaScript same in Node, uh, and you can persist state out to CloudWatch you can persist state out to DynamoDB to S3 to Elastic Cache, uh, whatever you feel like doing. So, the other really compelling component to Lambda is IAM, uh, and People are always like, oh yeah, I am rules. We use JSON and we can talk to things and we can create permissions. Great. One thing that most people don't realize, and I always like to mention this because I feel like it's always overlooked, um, you can actually take a web federated identity or a Saml auth or 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 some LDAP auth and like persist that into your IAM role, and then within DynamoDB, for instance, you can have granular access to certain tables and rows based on that role, based on that ID. So. Uh, let's say, for instance, I have a mobile app uh, and I have somebody logging in and I only want them to be able to access their information. I can actually give them their IAM role and allow them to talk directly to DynamoDB, and they're only able to edit and and modify their own data. And that's all done without having to build an application layer. Like, it's all done right in IAM, it's all done right in Dynamo, right in Lambda. Uh, And then there's VPC, which is important for most people. But not me anymore. So, why automate? Um, Again, yes, is the answer. Uh, You get increased agility, you get improved quality, increased consistency, reduced human errors, I'm reading the slide, reduced expenses and labor costs, and improved innovation. One thing that you may not be aware of, however, is that you don't always need to automate. There are certain things where a human will always be better. Um, so, So, the benefits of automation when it's done correctly. Are are myriad and, and, and obvious. What's not obvious is the damage done from automating incorrectly. And I want to make that very clear today. I'm not trying to be high level. I want to get down into some code at some point. But I, I want to make it very clear that I've seen some people get truly screwed uh, by by going in the wrong direction. So um, when you automate incorrectly, you're adding a, a whole another attack vector and a whole another a whole other, I shouldn't say another, I'm from the South, sorry, uh, a whole other set of, of things that can go wrong and people who can be blamed for those things going wrong. And if you're the one building that automation, eventually it's all going to come back to you. For instance, when you blow up a $60 million rocket. Teasing, that didn't happen. Um, so the, the other component uh, with automation done poorly is, uh, and one of the best practices, if you remember earlier, I mentioned log everything, uh, one of the best parts of logging everything is that this auditing nightmare and this accountability nightmare go away. If you have federated access to your infrastructure through IAM roles or, or similar, you're able to account for every single action that happens within your infrastructure and respond to it in a coherent manner. Why is automation key? This is a, a really hard slide to automate and I didn't want to delete it just because I spent so long on the uh, animations. So. Uh, those of you who appreciate PowerPoint, I hope you appreciate this slide. There's a lot more animation coming, and I just didn't delete them because I'm a huge fan of spending hours on trivial tasks. So, uh, as you can probably tell from my Twitter bots and other things. Um, so, within Amazon EC2 and Amazon ECS and Amazon CloudWatch, when you have just a few of these things, when you have just a few instances, just a few containers, just, uh, a few different cloud trails and roles and everything, it's quite easy for a human... To manage all of that infrastructure. Um, I, I manage all of my own personal infrastructure. Uh, I mean, I, I don't, that's a lie. But Lambda does it for me. But, uh, you know, I, I could if I wanted to, because I'm a small enough group of services. Um, because I am essentially a bot. So, uh, once you reach a certain scale, and I don't know what that scale is, it could be, you know, 10,000 transactions per second. It could be, Uh, 10,000 people in your organization. It could be, you know, 100 million in recurring revenue. Like, you know, there's some metric or set of metrics whereby it becomes non-trivial to continue to maintain your infrastructure solely on your own as a human. And when, when you need to do that, you have to have automation in place or you're gonna go insane and you're gonna be paged constantly and you're, you're, you're gonna move to Los Angeles and make other mistakes like that. Um, so what sorts of things can... I live in Los Angeles, by the way. Um, so what sorts of things can we automate? And uh, the answer is literally any... well, not literally anything, but figuratively or literally literally in the 2016 definition, anything. Um, so as I said before, I have about a hundred Twitter bots running and uh, they, they all do random things. Like, if you, if you take a selfie and tag AWS Cloud Ninja, ugh, I hate that slide, the timer, the 10-second thing. Um, if you take a, a, a selfie or a picture of a bunch of faces and you tweet at AWS Cloud Ninja, what it does is it uses recognition. It finds all those faces, and then it replaces the faces in the picture with Cloud Ninjas. Um, and I built that in, like, an hour after recognition came out. So it's pretty, pretty cool. Um, Like, the the power of Lambda is the ability to think outside of the box and automate things that traditionally weren't part of your automation regime. Um, And whether that's an Alexa skill, I don't know why you would need that within your corporate infrastructure, but some people like having someone to talk to when they're in the network operations control center. Um, You have Amazon API Gateway or IoT. The IoT and Greengrass sections, there's a ton of really exciting stuff happening around that, especially with regard to Lambda. Um, and, And I believe you know, you're going to continue to see this paradigm coming from AWS, in my opinion, uh, which is definitely not the official word of AWS. I think you'll keep seeing compute move further and further to the edge uh, and some sort of eventual consistency paradigm being persisted. Um, And and I believe that is an incredibly powerful paradigm for the world, not just for AWS. But I'm getting off topic. So why Lambda for automation? Lambda is invoked in two different ways. You have a synchronous invocation where you wait for the response, and you have an Invoke async, which is an asynchronous invocation where you don't care what happens. Um, now, one of the things that we we need to do within security and infrastructure control is we have to have both proactive and reactive controls because no matter how much proactive stuff you do, somebody still copies all of the the corporate data onto iCloud and and uh, then you know uh, they leave their iPhone in a bar unlocked and somebody's like, oh, this is what you're planning. Um, uh, there's always going to be human error be- and until we get replaced. Uh, and I, for one, welcome our new robot overlords. But until that happens, there will always be human error. And you need to have some form of reactive uh, policy control and-, and enforcement as well. So while uh, I will talk a lot about uh, reactive control, this is not enough. You have to have proactive control, too. So benefits of automation with AWS Lambda. We already covered what Lambda is. You guys all know about it. You're all in an expert session. Let's skip. This is what I just said. I forgot I had a slide about it. So uh, the various sources that we have. We have S3, DynamoDB, Kinesis, Cognito. And Cognito, as you remember, um, it is, uh if, you, if you've if you seen the user, <laughs> you have to remember to press back, because when I made these slides, I had a 10-second timer. And if you go through rehearsed timings in the slideshow, it re- remembers how long you spent on each time. And it's going to keep doing that. I'm sorry. I'll just speak from the next slide but what happens is you uh you have all of these different event sources and what you can do is you can use those cloud formation in particular is really interesting because you can use that as a bootstrapping action but also cloud watching config rules so has anybody used config rules already so for the benefit of any uh live stream later or any any youtube audience uh that was 100% of the audience um, the, I, everyone here has used config rules, so for those of you who haven 't used config rules uh, i 'd strongly urge you to check it out um, I think it is a really really powerful component of the AWS infrastructure um, you have you, who uses chef or puppet or something like that that really was hundred percent of the audience so with chef and puppet you 're able to reduce homogene uh, heterogeneity within your 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 infrastructure and your it lets you treat a lot of your infrastructure as a, as a a herd instead of what is it? Cattle, not pets. But Werner used something else today, and I don't remember what it was. But it was herd. Um, and when you do that, what you're you're saying is, you know, while I have this level of reduction of heterogeneity within my clusters and within my, my infrastructure, that's great. I want to I want to keep that around. But there's some things that, that Chef and Puppet and Ansible and ThoughtStack and you know yet another configuration manager don't uh, appropriately deal with. And Sometimes you have to define very complex rules, uh, like tagging, or, you know, this has to be billed to this call center, and there, it must be tagged in this way so that it is billed to that call center. Or uh, it has to be within this security group. It has to have this elastic IP attached. I mean, there are hundreds of thousands of different variations, and it's whatever your company needs. Um, you, you have to have some of that stuff done within AWS or as a cron job or something running because it doesn't work within Shav or Puppet because it's just not enforceable, um, unless you're really good at Ruby. Um, so event-driven policy enforcement is incredibly powerful. Um, and what do I mean by policy enforcement? I mean reactive, and pardon me, I need a drink of water. Again, third presentation today, losing my voice. So what do I mean? I wonder if I poured all the water on the computer if I would have to keep going. So, what do I mean? I mean, you have the freedom to define whatever is appropriate for your business. So, all of you guys are customers, all I hope, or potential customers or want to be customers. Otherwise, we're hiring. Uh, and and you all have custom businesses. You all have unique needs. You know, the 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 longer you're in business, the more you find hey, just because this has been done before doesn't mean it's been done the way that I need it to be done. Your your business is unique, and you have certain things that you need to enforce that other people don't. And at Amazon, what we want to do is we want to provide a primitive for you to build whatever policy enforcement control chain you need to build. So how do you do this? You have config rules, as I already talked about. You have CloudWatch, and you have CloudTrail. Who has CloudTrail turned on in their AWS account right now? everyone who doesn't have their hands up, the next thing you do when you go back to your hotel room before you get ready for the party and change into your bedazzled hoodie and uh, your your sequin cowboy hat and you know whatever else it is you need to get into your party gear, what I want you to do is I want you to open up your laptop and I want you to go into the AWS console and I want you to enable CloudTrail. Because CloudTrail is absolutely vital. Uh, unless you know, you're know you just you, and then you already know all the API calls you're making. Uh, but it is absolutely vital for having some sort of accountability and idea of what is happening within your infrastructure. What CloudTrail does is it logs every single API access uh, and the action and the result of those API accesses uh, in uh, CloudWatch. And then you can go and you can create re- uh, actions that respond to those API actions. And config rules are how you do that. <coughs> so let's start with config rules. Um, one of the config rules that I have is that every single one of my instances has to have some form of profanity in it, um, in the tag name. Uh, and if I create an instance and it doesn't have some form of profanity uh, in in German, English, or French, um, in the instance name, it is non-compliant with my rules. One of the other rules that I have is that it has to have a second tag, which is also something I'm using. Um, and as say it's like a cost center, for instance. And if it doesn't comply with those rules, perhaps I need to take some sort of action. And I can see, with the configuration history, how long it's been out of compliance, how many different you know, changes have happened within my infrastructure from day to day. And this is all already built into the AWS console. Have you guys seen this before? Okay, 50% of the audience will say it. So, all of this stuff, uh, works. So, check tags. I'm compliant. I am, I'm rude enough that my instances are, are being appropriately, uh, uh, loud so that anybody who hacks into my account will just be flabbergasted and immediately close their laptop and go away. And then in instance type validation, uh, I have been told by finance that I, I can't have 10 x1 instances spun up and I can't place civ6 on, uh, the g2 instances. So, uh, I now have a config rule to make sure that I'm not spinning up a G2 instance to play Civ6. Um, Civilization 6 is a really great game for those of you who haven't already played it. Um, it's, it, it. If you have a plane ride coming up, let me tell you, download that. And say goodbye to any friends and family because <laughs> you will get sucked in. So, one of the other things that I like to do is to enforce uh, various controls within a VPC, and, and some of those controls are, hey, I don't want any outbound traffic, or um, I do want outbound traffic. Like, everything spun up in this subnet needs uh, an IP in this zone so that uh, whatever rules that I have set up in my security groups pick it up. So I have my little Lambda policy engine. I have my config rules, as, as we already set up. And it goes into this Lambda function, validate security group. And what do you think these two actions that come out of it are? You know, if it's valid, then uh, all those instances survive. If they're not valid, then I terminate the instances that aren't valid, um, and then I keep the one that is valid around and this is what I mean by, by reactive control systems in your infrastructure control plane Which I, I've said like a hundred times today uh, so identity and access management enforcement is another really important uh, uh, Tool that a lot of people have to undertake within their infrastructure and I promise we'll get to some code in just a second um, uh, AWS IAM: you, you create the role you you, you type some JSON uh, it's not valid, so you spend 10 hours looking at the docs trying to figure out where you missed a comma. Um, and then you get back to your Lambda policy control engine It's created. All of these roles are going. It's your bootstrapping action, whatever you're trying to do. You validate the role path, um, verify that there's no way to call out to a uh, simple token service and elevate your privilege, um, that there's no way to access resources outside of what you wanted it to be able to access. Um, and then if it's invalid, you delete the roles. If it's valid, you allow the roles. Pretty straightforward, right? This is all stuff that real customers have built and are using, and a lot of these blueprints are so common that we've we've built a few of them I said blueprints too early. What I mean is a lot of these uh, policy engines are so common that we've built a bunch of blueprints that you can just use to, to start uh, and, and jumpstart your own policy control. Tagging enforcement, as I said, is a common one. I run some instances. I validate that it's on the right team, that So I could say, the role that spun these instances up, did it tag it as the appropriate team? If not, add that tag to the team. Um, Is it in the appropriate billing group for that instance? If not, maybe send a notification out and ask, hey, this isn't in the right billing group. Are you doing some work on another team, something like that? Um, And validate that it's in the right environment. So if it's in production, uh, is it tagged that way? Is it in dev? Is it tagged that way? Is it in the right VPC for production, dev, stage? I can do all of this, and I can make changes, or I can send notifications, whichever works better for my organization. And now we'll we'll give a quick demo. And I I apologize, my voice is just gone, and I I was really hoping to, there we go. I was really hoping to be screaming at the party tonight, Um, but I don't think that's going to happen, because it's just going to sound pretty shrill. So. Can you guys see that? Oh, boy. So this is the config rules um, console. So I get here by going to the console, and then I type in config, and then I'm where I just showed you. Uh, And there's a little bit of uh, initial setup where you you enable CloudTrail, you you make a bucket, and you do some other stuff. Um, And let's say... I want to create a rule. Now, rules are unfortunately not available in every region. So if you're in a region that doesn't have rules, you should send me an email and then I will send it to the people who need to add rules into that region. GovCloud, for instance, um, only has very simple rules. It doesn't have custom rules, um, which is a huge pain. Um, and I will, I will take your, your feedback or your, your profanity la- profanity laden rant and I will make it into an actionable piece of feedback that the, the teams can operate on. So. Um, uh, You see there are a couple different blueprints, like I was already talking about. Uh, Rather than creating a custom rule right now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to say, because we have 30 minutes, I'm going to find one that says uh, encrypted volume. So I want to make sure that every uh, volume within EBS that I launch is encrypted. And I could specify only do the ones that are tagged with a specific thing. But for now, we're just going to say everything is encrypted, I'll save this. And we'll wait, we'll wait. It'll be evaluating, evaluating. I might have to refresh the page, because Chrome... Or actually, JavaScript is a terrible language. Um, Sorry. That normally gets me a lot of booze. I'm glad it didn't this time. I like you guys. So, we're evaluating. We're evaluating. Pro tip, when you leave, you should evaluate and give this instance... Or give this... um, uh, uh, conference, this session, uh, all fives or whatever the highest score is. Obviously, I, I deserve that with my irreverent humor. Why is this still evaluating? Okay, yeah, so five non-compliant resources and a broken Ajax. Um, and what I can say is, like, hey, these encrypted volumes, why aren't they valid? Um, and I can go and I can have actions happen on these rules. Um, But I'm not going to do that now. So, do you guys all see that these volumes are not encrypted? Therefore, they're showing up. It makes sense. Config rules make sense. Solid. It's pretty straightforward. All right, we're going to try and get out of here, and I'm over my tight 30 promise. So let's speed up. Okay, infrastructure control plane. Uh, What I mean by this is exactly the same thing I've already been talking about. You can use. CloudWatch events and auto scaling events and uh, various API calls um, and state changes. So when you reach a certain scale within AWS, you will unfortunately discover that sometimes instances become degraded or instances uh, uh, fall down or EBS volumes get lost. That's why you need to make snapshots. That's why you need to to architect for multiple availability zones. These things unfortunately do happen. I'm not, uh, I guess I am technically on the marketing team, but I'm not going to like lie to you and say like we're 100% resilient. We're pretty damned resilient, but you will see failures when, when you're in AWS for long enough. So it's important to architect for those things. And one of the ways that you can do that is to have Lambda functions that respond to these different events. So say your instance becomes unreachable. Uh, maybe you can have a Lambda function that actually reaches out to that instance and attempts to ascertain why it's unreachable. Uh, and maybe it notifies somebody. Or maybe it says, hey, this instance isn't that important. Let's just drop it and restart it um, on new hardware. All of these things are, are, are easily done within uh, config rules and Lambda and all this stuff we've already talked about. I, I check the VPC, validate the security group. We, we already talked about how to do this. Let's say I, I need to make sure that all instances launched within, from a particular role need to be able to talk to all the other instances of a particular role. So, uh, say somebody is spinning this up; they're using Terraform or, or some other thing, and they, uh, they they forgot to specify a security group. So rather than shutting down the instance, I could just have Lambda proactively go in and add the security group that it needs to, to have in order to speak to those other instances. And I feel like I'm ignoring this side of the room, but that's because the monitor is on this side and I need it for my speaker notes, which I'm not following. Um, so uh, this is a really, really common one that I see, um, and I'm surprised there's not an existing blueprint. There may be an existing blueprint, but as of three days ago, there wasn't. Um, so create and update Amazon Route 53 records from a tag. Have, have any of you used twitch.com before, or twitch.tv before? Have you seen the clip feature where when you clip something, it makes a really amusing, uh, uh, slug to refer to it by? They take three adjectives and it's, it's the, the top 1,000 most popular adjectives, uh, that are over six characters. And then they take, uh, uh, one noun and it's the top 1,000 most popular nouns over like six characters. And they create a memorable slug from that. Well, I decided I needed to do the same thing with my host names. So uh, all of my host names have something like Crazy Funny Muffin or uh, Spiky Lame Lobster. That's not six characters. I was just making it up. But I'm bad at math, obviously. But imagine you need to have certain DNS names that need to be human-readable and human-referenceable within your infrastructure. Or maybe they don't need to be human-readable or human-referenceable, but they need to conform to a particular format for some you know, bureaucratic reason. Um, so you can have this run instances command. Also, funny fact, did anybody realize that AWS never had a run instance API call? It was always run instances? That that was amusing to me. I started using AWS in 2009, uh, and, and I never really like put it together that it was built for scale from the start until I realized it's always been run instances. It's always been plural. It's always been architected for that, and that's kind of compelling. I'm surprised we don't talk about that more. Probably because it was, like, a, a team in South Africa writing a bunch of Perl scripts to get it all to work together. Yeah. Anyway, so you have your Lambda, support, Lambda policy engine executing. You check the VPC. You check that everything's right and that it's routable and, you know, that it has the right stuff. And then you update your DNS. Um, and you, there's no negative action to this. Uh, you just do nothing. But you can add a CNAME tag and add a DNS record that allows you to reference this instance quite easily. Um, and I used to have a demo of this, Uh, But then the console changed, and I don't know how to do it in a timely manner. So I will figure that out before the next reInvent, and maybe I'll even have a bot that does all this for you, so you don't have to. One of the things that I wanted to talk about that's not on the agenda, uh, and I'll do this real quick, and then we'll get into the best practices, and we'll get out of here, and we'll get to the party, uh, unless you're coming to the serverless chatbot workshop, which I'm supposed to be giving right now, um, which I will go to next. CloudFormation bootstrapping uh, with Lambda functions is a really, really powerful paradigm. Um, so let's say you need to load a schema into RDS. You can do that with a Lambda function. So you can have it fire when the, the RDS uh, instance becomes available and when, when it's spun up and ready. You can actually load in your schema with a Lambda function kind of in an automated fashion. Um, if you need to load data into RDS, just some seed data, you can do that with a Lambda function. If you need to load data into DynamoDB, you can do that with a Lambda function. If you need to perform some arcane invocation to a mainframe, if you have to write some sort of, you know, ancient API call um, in order to 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 make your instance reachable from your your crazy old networking gear, um, you can do that with a lambda function. If you need to depend on some sort of external action, uh, and within CloudFormation and bootstrapping, you can use a wait and notify uh, in order to wait on that external action being triggered. And then call notify. Um, and you can store the, the temporary state in DynamoDB, for instance. And these are all things that I've seen customers do. If you, and then, you know, for everything else, there's MasterCard. I, um, uh, for everything else, there's, there's EC2 depends on wait and notify. So you can have an EC2 instance run if you, if you really need to get this stuff done in a, in a long running fashion and you, you're not sure that it's going to complete within the time that a Lambda function is. So what are the best practices? As I said already, log everything. Um, Use source control. uh, Use small services. And the reason you use small services is that when your engineers quit, um, it's really easy to consume the smaller services uh, and hire interns. No, I'm teasing. Um, uh, But I, I can't talk enough about the benefits of keeping these actions smaller. Uh, I know that it 's a little bit more to juggle around it 's a little bit more to to keep on the whiteboard and, and to, to orchestrate everything, talking to everything else. I think step functions helps out with that a lot, but keeping these in manageable sections makes working with it so much easier. If you have a lambda function that's going over you know a thousand lines, I think you're going wrong somewhere. Um, my lambda function, which is a Twitter bot, uh, I believe in if driven development, so it has an if statement that 's about five hundred lines long um, that 's the only exception to this rule, okay. So I strongly encourage you to version your Lambda functions. I strongly encourage you to use source control uh, and then report failures. So make sure you have a means. uh, Amazon X-Ray is a great way of uh, following up on these failures and understanding why they're happening, what what is the input that causes this. Um, A lot of times, uh, people hook up Lambda to Kinesis streams or to DynamoDB streams, which are the same thing, um, and they don't realize that the reason they're getting a failure is that they had this initial malformed input, uh, and it's being retried. So, so that, that, that state doesn't get cleared until you actually clear it manually or until you remove the trigger and re-add it. So that's a common bug, it's a common pain point that I see people running into with DynamoDB and Lambda, uh, or, or some sort of stream in Lambda. Uh, and if you have some means of reporting these failures and understanding them, you can understand what the input event is and what the output was. Uh, to recap, uh, think outside the box. Very important. There, there's really no limit to what you can automate. Um, when, when I say there's no limit to what you can automate, huge portions of my life are automated. My, my mother will frequently text me, wonderful woman, uh, and ask, what state are you in? What country are you in? Why are you not responding? Um, and I have Lambda functions in Twilio that will send her my last Foursquare check-in and my last selfie uh, so that she knows I'm alive. Um, and I'm glad you guys find that amusing. When she found out, she did not. Um, <laughs> um, I, I have, you know, things in place if I, if I don't log in to a certain website uh, for six months. Uh, and this is powered by Lambda. And if I, if I don't do something for six months, it will email all of my passwords and deepest, darkest secrets to my girlfriend and to my mom so that they can go in and take care of my affairs if the worst were to ever happen. Um, you know, you can, we're talking about infrastructure normally, but infrastructure and humans, as we learned today in Werner's keynote when we had um, the chief data scientist of US Gov, they go together. Uh, and by automating your infrastructure, what you're really automating, uh, what you're really enabling, not automating, is the ability for your ops engineers to write creative code instead of operational code. Uh, that's the wrong word. It will still be operational code. Uh, it will work. What what I mean to say is that uh, it's going to enable people to work on the things they want to work on. It's going to enable people to be creative. It's going to enable them to do you know, whatever it is they want to do and what their passions are, instead of having them manage servers and do this humdrum development day-to-day. So uh, thanks so much for your attention. reInvent is, is is blissfully over soon. It's been an amazing conference. I've had a wonderful time. I hope all of you have had a wonderful time. Please follow me on Twitter. You can also watch me on Twitch. I'm there, live coding every Tuesday and Thursday. Uh, and then remember to complete your evaluations. Um, this was a terrible talk. I expect all ones. Um, and that's it. Thank you guys so much.